This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I want to say as we get into um, the message this morning, the, uh, I, I promised to do better on time. I don't know what I was thinking last week. It was 11.45 was my, what I was looking at. And then when people started getting up and walking out, I realized, oh, I'm going too long. So <clears throat> it was that or I was stepping on toes. I wasn't for sure, but <clears throat> no, I, was, I had gone too long, and I apologize for that. So I'll do better this week. Those of you who came this week and you weren't here last week, you're like, oh, praise God. He learned this lesson last week, and I wasn't here. Um, I want to say as I get into this that when I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and uh, my wife did as well, and, um, and so we kind of you know, had the idea of what ministry was about, but, but I remember, um, I don't remember growing up and, and hating the ministry because of how my dad made it seem. And a matter of fact, as a five-year-old boy, my dad asked me, said, said uh, so, so Timmy, if you, when you grow up, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, and I always answered, I want to be a preacher. And, um, and so later on down uh, in life, my dad would ask me, I just wonder if maybe that was just a childhood idea you know most most kids want to be fireman or police officer or <clears throat> and uh, my dad would say so if God called you to be a garbage collector would you be a garbage collector or that, I'd be a garbage collector uh, but if he called you to be a, a, a lawyer would you be a lawyer yeah I'd be a lawyer uh, but if God called you to be be a preacher would you be a preacher and and I always answered yes I would and and that was my desire and as a 14 year old boy uh, I went to a church camp there at that church camp I uh, surrendered my life to uh, to preach, and uh, as a fourteen year old boy, I remember that being in in uh, uh, just like it was yesterday. How God worked in my heart and all that surrounded that. But I surrendered to to preach, and I I never never really believed that that was that it meant you had to be a a pastor to be a be a preacher. I just knew it meant that I was gonna I was gonna be a good steward of the word of God, and I was gonna deliver and I had an opportunity. And so I promised him any opportunity he gave me to preach, I would take it. And so this is an, an awesome opportunity, not just because I get to preach the word of God, but I get to preach it right here in my church and with, with uh, my church family. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity, and I don't take it lightly. Ephesians chapter 5. hope you're there. I'm going to do a little bit of a quick run through where we've been in chapter 5, um, just so that we can get into this part 4. We have titled this passage, Like Father, Like Son, because verse 1 tells us to be imitators of God as dear children. So we're just supposed to be, as children, we're trying to be like Daddy. And so we're trying to be like God, our Father, and so imitating Him, being like Him, so that's verse number one, like father, like son. Part one, we said in verses one through seven, walk in love, walk in holiness, and walk in discernment. In part two, verses eight through 14, we said, walk in light. We talked about the gospel. The gospel turns on the light and it transforms us. And then we have part three last week. We talked about verses 15 through 18, and I'll double up on 18 this week. Walk in wisdom, we said last week, walk in the will of God, and walk in the Spirit, and what that looks like, what that means for the Christian. 
Today, part number four, we're going to look at verses 18 through 21 and kind of set up for when Pastor Josh comes back next week to get into what verse 21 is actually referring to and how it's lived out in the practical way. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. I want you to follow along. If you have your Bible, then open it there uh, on your phone, tablet, whatever, or up on the screen here. So you can have the Word of God in front of you. The Bible says, verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's so much here that we're going to try to unpack in this, these fleeting moments that we have here together. I want us to, to kind of draw our attention to this. Verse number 19 here says, speaking to one another in Psalms. And I just want us to look at the, there's a parallel passage. We introduced what the parallel passage is. Really, Colossians is a parallel of Ephesians. Paul's doing the same thing to the church at Colossae that he does with the church of, uh, at Ephesus. And so we call those a parallel passage. They're doing the same thing, but he words things a little different way with, the, with that intent to get, the same, get across the same message. So it helps us to see the way he words it in, in Colossians so we can understand the way he words it in Ephesians. That makes sense? So in studying the Bible, we're trying to compare Scripture with Scripture. And so I want you to look at what verse 16 says in Colossians chapter 3. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And here he uses the same thing he's saying in verse number 19. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That word grace, looking back at what he's talking about with thanksgiving, where, so we see there's a, this parallel, the same things, teaching and admonishing and also speaking to one another. We're going to kind of unpack that and what all that means, but I want you just to see that parallel. Here we're going to see the results and evidences of being filled with the Spirit. Last week we said... The comparison of being drunk with wine, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, and why this is a, why there's some correlation here, why there's a compare and contrast between the two. And one of the reasons is because, I'm just going to launch with this, one thing we talked about was that it's, that being filled with the Spirit is not an event that you'll have the rest of your life, just like drinking and becoming drunk is not just a one time that once you get drunk one time, and maybe in, maybe some of you in here might be able to attest to the fact that way maybe, maybe the way you used to live, and now God's changed you. But that if you were going to get drunk, it had to be it was an it was a, a happened this time, and then to get drunk again, I was going to have to do the same thing I did before. That the drunkenness was going to go away, and the this this idea of being filled with the Spirit is the same context that you aren't going to stay quote-unquote filled with the Spirit. I'm going to look at that and kind of help you understand what that means. Being filled with the Spirit, because it's not just a one-time thing that happens and you have it the rest of your life, it's not an event that causes you to do particular things, but it is a constant, everyday, mundane going to the Word of God, spending time with God, worshiping Him. 
in spirit and in truth and getting that fullness of the spirit, I think I could liken it to what Paul says that every day he had to die to himself so that he could be filled with the spirit. So even the apostle Paul was helping us to understand that even, even someone as great as the apostle Paul was, who said he was the chiefest of sinners, still had to every day struggle with the flesh and to be filled with the spirit of God. I want, to, I want you to understand that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you received all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever receive. Okay, so He didn't just give you His feet when you got saved so you could start getting around, or He didn't just give you His eyes so you could start seeing. You got all of Him. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, all of Him. The question then is not, how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? But rather, how much of me does the Holy Spirit control? Do you understand? It is me giving myself wholly to Him. It is me emptying out. If I could use the illustration to just help you to see that it's not so much a filling of a glass that we're talking about, but that being filled is referring to more of the slipping on the glove and the Holy Spirit controls the fingers. So that idea of the control of the Spirit of God, if that glove is filled with marbles, how much of the Spirit can, be, can fill us? Do I have the Holy Spirit living in me? Yes. Does he control me? That's, that's where the flesh and the spirit war. Okay, anybody ever warred flesh and spirit, right? We, we all live there. And so because we know that's, that's human to war, our, our flesh wants to war against the spirit. We want to do what we want to do. We're going to look at how, what it looks like now, this filling of the spirit. This understanding of being full of the Spirit of God, how does it look in the life of the believer? Number one, we're going to look at this. Walk in worship. Walk in worship. The Bible shows us here that we're not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I love any time in the Bible we get to talk about music and the passion that I have about music and really about what worship really is. Can I help you to understand that we, we talk about the service that we, when we get together as God's people as being a worship service. We get together to worship God. And I believe it's scriptural that we as God's people get together and we worship Him together. The only time that we really, in a week's time, get to worship Him in the congregation is Sunday, right? And so we have to take the opportunity to worship Him together. But what is worship? What is worship? Can I help you? Maybe just a pocket definition that I've come up with to help me to understand. That worship is any obedience to the commands of God. That's what worship is. Worship is not a raised hand alone. Worship is not giving of tithes and offerings alone. Worship is not 
being a testimony and a witness before others with your life alone. But it's every time I obey the Holy Spirit. Every time I obey God's word. Do you know what worship is? It is, if I could say it this way, it is worth-ship. I am showing my worth, or what I believe the worth of God's word is, or his worth in my life. How much worth can I ascribe to Jesus? So how do I show him? Well, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey. So every time I obey the commands of God, that is worship. So I'm not a very good singer. Well, it's a good thing you don't have to worry about that worship is only music. I think it's, it's important that every Christian sing. The Christianity is, the, is, is really the main, main and maybe only religion that, that sings. We have this joy. We sing. We've been given a new song Psalms talks about. So worship is any obedience to the commands of God. So music and singing are expressions of our worship. They are a means to worship. They are not worship alone, the only way. So the context of verse 20 is being filled with the Spirit. Paul, what Paul is trying to get across to the Ephesians church here is this. In verse 16, Colossians 3.16 that we, we referenced just a moment ago, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you know that some of the richest ways that I can express my worship of God is through the rich lyrics that somebody else has penned? Sometimes the words that I use to worship Christ are not the words that I came up with on my own. I use the lyrics that somebody else came up with. So in, in my worship, yes, I use those, that, that richness. We, we sing some, some pretty rich lyrics at Keystone here. We, we sing the song, Complete in Thee. We taught that song. Complete in Thee, no work of mine may take, dear Lord, the place of thine. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Yea, justified, O blessed thought. And sanctified salvation wrought. These rich lyrics. So the, the words that we say, the, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, so here's the text. This is kind of my version. Okay, this is the third Timothy, right? Third Timothy 3.16. This is the way I would say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. That is the encompassing of of all that it looks like to be a a spirit-filled Christian. That as we are filled with the Spirit, these are evident. These things are made plain in our lives. People see these things in our lives, and that is the outpouring of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. You understand that 
the reason why we call it the fruit of the Spirit is because it is the fruit that the Spirit grows in our lives. It's not, we're not able to grow that on our own. You see, the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering, that temperance, that gentleness, that goodness, that faith, all those things that are, that are grown by the Spirit of God, we, our soil, our lives cannot produce those like the Spirit can. The, the fruit of the Spirit is grown in the lives. This is the evidence of the Spirit in our lives. So speaking to one another is what I want to talk about first. Speaking to one another. This speaking, the word speaking in this text actually has the connotation, the word simply means to break the silence. Uh, can I tell you that a, 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 a Christian, I'll start there, a Christian who is not full of the Spirit does not enjoy fellowship with believers. But then a spirit-filled Christian breaks the silence. Do, do, can, you, can any of you here, maybe in your seat, just, just not show of hands, but can you think just for a moment that where that's been true in your lives, where you've had that depleted feeling of like, I don't want to fellowship with anybody, I don't want to talk to anybody. And then there's those times when you have that fullness where you just can't, I mean, you just enjoy that time in connect group, or you enjoy that time where you get to spend time with other believers. This, this speaking to one another, this fellowshipping with, with one another, this breaking of the silence. Let's, let's unpack this. In Psalms, originally the word Psalms meant plucking the string of a bow or the sound of a stringed instrument. That's what this word psalms meant. And that's why there's a whole book called Psalms, because these were the songs of God's people that were plucked on strings, on a bow. So the, the psalms here is this, uh, this original meaning is this plucking the string. That even in speaking to one another in psalms, this was the getting together and kind of just having a, you know, a North Carolina picking. You know, they, they, were, they were just enjoying that fellowship. That's the spirit-filled Christian. From the way the word psalm is translated throughout the Bible, we can surmise that the singing of the psalms was accompanied by stringed instruments. The word psalms is used seven times in the New Testament. Five of those times are outside of Paul's letters. We find five times where the word psalms is mentioned outside of Paul's letters and it's referring back to the Old Testament Psalms. David's Psalms, Moses' Psalms, and so on. Two of those times are used in the way that Paul re uses them to refer to the way in which communication or fellowship was to be done in the New Testament church, most likely using a stringed instrument. So we find Paul is describing, saying, now, we understand... In the New Testament even, we understand that these five times it's used, that the Psalms were still around. So we are referencing back to the Old Testament. But then he says, I want you to use those, Colossians 3.16, and also Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, that we're going to use the Psalms in our speaking with one another, in our relationship with one another, in our fellowship with one another. 
We're going to use these stringed instruments. We're going to pluck on the string. We're going to spend time in, the, in this type of fellowship. He says in hymns, a hymn is a song of praise to God. So let, let's back up from what we, what we contextually know from society to actually what the word definition of, of a hymn is. Paul was using it not in the context of 21st century Christianity or 20th or 19th. Paul was using the word hymn in the reference of its true meaning. So we're, we're communicating with each, each other with stringed instruments, in fellowship, enjoying that time together. But he says also in hymns. A hymn, Webster's Dictionary, defines a hymn as a religious song or poem of praise to God. Usually in poetry, this hymn, rhyming words, but the, specifically it was praise, was praising God for his wondrous acts, was praising God for who he is, whether he did anything for you or not. He deserves praise. So it was that, that ability, that, that time together in praising God, in spending time with God, alone with God, or with others. In this context, it's with other Christians, that you're sharing what God has done in your lives, that you're, you're, you're quoting or singing or going over these, these words of poetry about who God is and how wonderful He is. Matthew 26, 30 talks about that after the Passover meal, remember that Jesus was with his disciples and they had the Passover meal. This was the last supper. And Jesus with his disciples, the Bible says in verse number 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They sang hymn with music, with their voices, not necessarily with a stringed instrument here. We're just talking about they sang with their voices. Acts 16.25 says, And being arrested, and they were imprisoned, Paul and Silas, that verse 25 says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I have heard that in our singing in the church, it should be songs about God. But can I tell you that a hymn... This was Paul and Silas. When they sang a hymn, they were singing praises to God. I think it can be both, don't you? I think sometimes we open up and we look to heaven and we say, boy, we want to talk to you, God. And other times we're with the Christian and with the, with the saints and we sing together about him and about how wonderful he is. Hebrews 2.12 tells us the, the author of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament Psalms and says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And the word praise is the same word that is used when Paul and Silas are singing hymns. So he's quoting from the Psalms and Hebrews here, but referring to the fact that they did hymns. And hymns are not just a book full. We say we open up the book and turn to page 435 and we'll sing this hymn from this book. It's not just that. A hymn is a song of praise to God. All right, so you've got that. So now, spiritual songs. What does that mean? From the origin of this word, 
is the, the word that we use in the English, the word ode. Like you've heard the song, Ode to Joy. All right? That ode is what a spiritual song is. It is used 71 times in the entire Bible and most often refers to songs of joy or praise or just singing. Just singing. Sometimes it's used in conjunction with musical instruments and on occasion it includes dancing and instruments. When they talked about spiritual songs, in this context, Paul actually is... is he uses the word spiritual, although he doesn't really need to. We understand that we're talking about psalms, hymns, and songs. But why doesn't he say spiritual psalms and spiritual hymns and spiritual songs? Because the first two have as their meaning that they're plucking on the string praises to God or their songs about, and poetry, hymns about God, praises to Him. And then the spiritual songs, this ode could have been any kind of song. It was any kind of music that was sung. This was, a, this was this word song or ode. So Paul makes sure it's clear that we understand this is a spiritual ode. Not just one that anybody made up, but this is actually one that's spiritual. It is about Christ. It's about who He is. It's even about us in testimony. So our testimony songs okay for the Christian believer to sing in church? Absolutely. That our test, a spiritual song of what God has done in our lives, a, a, a hymn of praise to God, and a psalm where, where instruments are, are played and strings are plucked, all of these things are what Paul is referencing here and saying that a spirit-filled Christian doesn't ignore when it comes time to worship in the church. And, and really, this is where the rubber meets the road for us, isn't it? Because there are times when we come in and we do not feel like singing those songs or lifting a hand. And sometimes it even takes the first or second song to finally get to the point where we are there, right? Anybody with me? Like, you feel that way? The, 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 the worship leaders up here, instruments, we get here early because we've got to get there too. We're people as well just so happens that we've sung the song a few more times than you have, so we've finally gotten there. And, and I'm not saying that it's something you have to generate or force or create in your life. What I am saying is that there's an evidence of somebody who is spirit-filled, and Paul shows us what it looks like. They're fellowshipping. They're, they're referring to who God is and what He does in their lives. Okay, I'm hurrying now. Again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other in all wisdom and psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Singing, next, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The second result, the, the first is the speaking to one another in those things. The second result is being spirit-filled in singing. We see private and corporate worship of the believer. He says, to one another and in your heart. Together, to one another, we're worshiping. And then also in our hearts, that both are present. We see a ministry to others in the church, as music is a ministry. Music is the means by which believers minister to each other and worship the Lord. 
We see to whom we are to sing in this verse. We see we're supposed to be singing to the Lord, to Him. It is for Him. It is about Him. It is, it is the, the Lord, can I say who He is? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is who God wants the church to declare. It is, God is saying, I'm giving you my spirit, so my spirit will work inside of you to declare Jesus Christ. And God said, in the church, I want you to declare Jesus Christ. It is about him. It is why we get together. Number two, then, he says, not only this, but walk in thanksgiving. Walk in thanksgiving. Verse 20 continues there and says this, gives us this, this command that we're to speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. First of all, speaking. Second, singing. And then verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in thanksgiving, the third result of being filled with the Spirit is giving of thanks. And in all things. There, there are some things in this life that I am not so thankful for. Right? Like... Six o'clock in the morning. I'm not thankful for that, right? Maybe later on, like 10, you know? I start getting thankful around 10. But there are things in this life that we're not thankful for. And, and he says the spirit-filled Christian is thankful in all things. This is meant as the continual attitude of gratitude. So in this, this frame of mind... The meaning of that phrase is continually, always being thankful for all things, all the time. You get the idea? It's, it's all the time. That's the spirit-filled Christian. So we're finding that we are speaking, we're singing, we're thankful. And then finally, the fourth way that he, he says that we, see, we show that we are spirit-filled is that number three, we walk in submission. Walk in submission. We live in a society that is anti-submission. It is, it is my way or the highway type of attitude. It is, there's an attitude from leaders in the workplace or, or in government or even in the home that it's, it's my way, you do what I say. The example that we find from Scripture, though, is that it, is, it isn't the commands of a leader, but rather Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. It is a servant leader. You don't lead or get to the top by barking commands. You, you become a leader because of being a servant. This idea of submission is just that. The fourth result of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another in the fear of God. I'm afraid that God will get on to me if I'm not submissive. That's not what it means. It's that in this reverence of who God is, I submit. I fall on my knees. I come to the point in my life where my heart is contrite and I get on my knees and, and I have the attitude that Christ has about washing feet. You may not, in our society, it's not as, as customary. There's still some, some practicing 
Uh, people do still practice that. I don't fault anyone for washing feet. I, I mean, we have a basin at the door, and as you come in, well, wouldn't that be a little awkward? But, but I will say this, that should be the heart of the Spirit-filled Christian. The heart of a Spirit-filled Christian is that of bending low and doing those type of things for another believer. For others, period. The context here refers to a mutual submission, which implies humility. And remember, he's, he's referencing the church here. He's talking to believers inside the church of Ephesus that would take this message and get it to those other sister churches there in Asia. And he's saying to them, as brothers, as sisters in Christ, as you are filled with the Spirit, you are, it's not a fight of, if I submit to them and they don't submit to me, I'm done. I'm only going to wash his feet if he'll wash my feet. It was a mutual submission. There was a mutual submission here, and it implies humility. A spirit-filled Christian is not filled with pride. I'm going to come to our closing here. In Philippians chapter 2, we find Christ described for us. He's put on display in Philippians chapter 2. And we find that this, this description, I, I, I would love to get into all of, all of what it means, but that's not this, today's message. But Ephesians, our Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, comes finally after verses 1 through 4 have described to us all that Christ is. And verses 1 through 4 is not saying he's high and mighty. What he's saying is he's lowly as a servant, meeting the needs of others. Then he gets to verse number 5 and says, Now... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, washing the disciples' feet, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant as a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, a a servant that chooses to serve, a bondservant. Not, not being made to serve, but a bondservant that he's choosing to stay with his master. There, there, were, there were slaves who, who appreciated serving and working for their master that they took on their master's name, becoming a bondservant, saying, I will do this, this is, my, this is my word, or this is my bond. That Jesus came and said, I, I choose to come lowly, have his love for us, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the attitude of the Spirit-filled believer. The Spirit of God when he is alive and working in our lives, when he's given fullness, when we've emptied out the glove and he can fill it completely and move around freely in our lives, that is when we see Christianity. That's when we see this kind of submission. Next week, Pastor Josh, I I believe, unless he he has other plans for next week, will unpack these next several verses and and, and will show us what that means for the relationship of a husband and wife 
in mutual. Would you please, as, you, as we get into the next part of the, the passage, would you please make sure that you couple it with the truth that you already know about what it means to be spirit-filled? Because when this part is right, the next several verses describing the husband and wife relationship and the parent and child relationship and the employer and employee relationship all work so well. It works just the way that God intended because of being spirit-filled. I'll close with this. I found a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I felt like really hit home for the passage that we just have taught through these past couple weeks. Charles Spurgeon, at the close of a message on the same topic of Ephesians chapter 5, he said, Beloved, when the Spirit of God fills you, you will not only speak, but sing. Let the holy power have free course. Do not quench the Spirit. If you feel like singing all the while, sing all the while. And let others know that there is a joy in the possession of the Spirit of God, which the world does not understand, but which you are feeling and to which you wish to bear witness. Oh, that the Spirit of God would come upon you, upon this entire church, and fill you all to overflowing. Church, I want to say the same phrase from... from decades past oh that the spirit of god would come upon this entire church and fill you to overflowing what does it look like it looks like verses 19 20 and 21 that's what it looks like if you're ever curious about what does it look like to be filled with the spirit that's it And that's where we're constantly going back to in our lives. Oh man, I'm empty again. I'm not enjoying the music. I don't enjoy the fellowship. I'm having trouble in submission with my my spouse. I'm having difficulty at work. We go back to Ephesians again or or Colossians and we repeat it. Going through those things again to be spirit-filled. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.